Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we talk to Dr. Anupram Das, professor at IIMK India. We talk to Anupram about his experience at the intersection of linguistics and technology, the positive and negative effects of social media usage on language and culture, how people substitute the absence of visual cues when engaging via text on social media, politeness and trolling on social media and the differences and similarities between the Western and Eastern worlds. The need for macro as well as micro governance on the topic of bullying on social media. The connection between ethical communication and product development and consumer trust. Lastly, he gives advice to companies considering employing social scientists. We hope you enjoy it. Hi friends, we are here today with Dr. Anupam Das, professor at IIMK India. Hi Anupam. Hello. We are very, very happy to have you on your sh- on our show today. Um, and yeah, just just before we dive in, tell us more about you. Uh, what has been your career path with technology, language, and um, and research? Uh, well, I was born into a family of uh, teachers, and um, my father was a grammarian, so I was naturally drawn to um, linguistic and languages. And I did my undergraduate in linguistics, but uh, having studied formal linguistics and philology, I was looking for something a little new because what I felt in the uh, formal space of linguistics, you know, there are a lot of work, you know, saturation in Hmm. especially phonology, phonetics, morphology, syntax. And uh, people do uh, study different languages and bring um, some new aspects, but that those uh, findings do not add, add uh, to, you know, knowledge much, you know, in terms of uniqueness. You know, there are certain parametric variations. So I was looking for something that I would be satisfied and I could contribute something uh, that has not been touched upon, especially in mm-hmm. India. And this was uh, in 1997 when I was graduating. Uh, my undergraduate was in 1997 in linguistics, and I was a little uh, uh, disappointed with uh, the formal linguistics. You know, it, this has nothing to do with formal linguistics per se, but maybe because of my personal interest in something of application of linguistics. Hmm. 97, 98, that is when the internet was uh, becoming popular in India. People started using it, you know, as for chat messages and everything people talking about. And I wanted to explore that area to see because I've already noticed uh, people when they are uh, texting, they are abbreviating. There were a lot of creativity in terms of message formation and word formation and things like that. So... I got interested. So I took admission in uh, a formal course of computer application. Um, so, uh, and then I thought, you know, why not doing something involving that involves both technology and language? Until then, I did not see uh, any work, in fact, in Indian context. 
So um, this is where I wrote uh, my PhD proposal in uh, University of Delhi. Um, earlier, I, uh, I worked on a sociolinguistics uh, uh, topic called, uh, you know, Bengalis in Delhi, those who migrated from, uh, you know, from Bangladesh to India during the partition of India and Pakistan, which was then, you know, East, uh, you know, uh, East Pakistan. And now having, uh, you know, that was fascinating too, but having done that, I thought, you know, let me take it to the technology field and see, you know, how people use that. And I, I wrote a proposal which was accepted, but then I found that there are not many people in India who could guide me. Hmm. Um, because uh, there is not a, a large body of work in India. So I started exploring the world and I started writing to people um, all over, you know, in, in the United Kingdom, in the uh, US and all. And when, and then I was very particular about following my passion for technology and language hmm. and I came across uh, uh, Professor Susan Herring's name who, uh, he, who has been my PhD advisor and um, so uh, many people you know um, in formal linguistics also having noted my um, area of interest directed me to her and so I, I wrote, uh, wrote to her and to my surprise, she gave me a very encouraging response, and that is where the journey began. Hmm. Yeah. For, for, tell me a bit more, what do you think this field of linguistics can contribute to the technology space? Well, a lot, uh, because there are multiple ways, actually, one can look at, you know, how linguistics can contribute to linguistics field. Um, well, you know, let me first tell you about the positive aspects, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and then the negative aspects. There are both pros and cons of, uh, you know, both, um, you know, of this as uh, this particular issue. The positive aspect is that uh, now, um, you know, there are a lot of linguists, uh, especially computational linguists, are trying to figure out, you know, and have actually contributed to this artificial intelligence, machine learning, and um, also in terms of um, see, promoting see, marginalized languages all over the world. I see that, you know, there are people who are working to uh, represent their uh, language uh, in their particular script, not using Roman script. Earlier, you know, people used mm -hmm. to use Roman script to represent their language, um, but then the Roman script has its own uh, limitations. So now people have developed scripts to represent their language. So uh, there are groups that are constantly working to promote their language so that, you know, their language is uh, um, public and people uh, are aware of that. Um, they, they try to reach out to people and encourage them to use the local language, you know, in addition to whatever language they are comfortable. So that, you know, that could avoid uh, the death of a language because many people are not aware that, you know, uh, language is not just a uh, mere tool of communication it's a lot more it's a it's a cognitive uh, it, it enhances someone's cognitive ability you know it, it helps us preserve the culture in many ways you know with, a, with, mm. with the death of the language you know um, many things are lost so uh, i think these are the three fields that i could uh, you know i could think of of course the domination of english and um, some of the european languages are visible but at the same time i think people are um, using um, regional languages and so they're interacting in some cases using um, script uh, borrowed script for example Roman and other scripts and 
but in uh, some cases they have developed their own script and you know using them on the internet and social media yeah. to make um you know more popular so i think this is one mm. of the, uh, the three of the contributions that you know, i could immediately remember there are many of course the negative side of it is also is that you know uh, many of us especially in india you know those of us use uh, internet regularly and now of course you know uh, the internet penetration has uh, gone beyond uh, urban civilization which is very good but then um it it so happens that you know we mostly uh, you know use in english so english domination or uh, or you know um, hindi for example which is another um language uh, one of the 22 official languages in india you know have uh, become more prominent so therefore there is this tension between you know um the more dominant ones versus less dominant ones you know not to say that you know the one is more prestigious than the other each language is prestigious on its own way but you know this domination is also uh, something uh, i think worrisome and i think this is particularly interesting when you start thinking about the companies that build these algorithms or these languages and and what type of knowledge informs that right um right. and how that plays into that dominance i i i looking into your um amazing p- uh, body of work um i've i've seen that you've have quite 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 some amount of work on social media platforms like facebook and orkut so i i was wondering if you could speak a bit to to your experience working in that space um and i wanted to ask you just by defining what social media is to you and how do you think they affect um people's lives from a linguistic perspective so social media to me is a web based platform uh, created for the um, community use where people come and uh, use the application create the content and share with people and create a uh, social network either and um, but i think there is one aspect that uh, you know most uh, standard definition of social media is missing is that social media also has a business side Hmm. you know initially when we started using say youtube or facebook or orkut for that matter there were no advertisements you know we thought that was great you know these people are giving us uh, you know some uh, uh, some free stuff that we could use and you know there was no interruptions and all those things but we probably didn't realize what uh, these companies were doing was profiling people's um, people's interest and uh, based on that you know once uh, there was a steady number of people or either the network you know so uh, the the you know extraction of data you know based on people's activity was very visible to companies you know these uh, you know social media started sharing that with other companies and then you know it was that interest based uh, advertisements that started coming in well that's both good and bad you know of course you know i am of the opinion that uh, the companies those who have created these platforms social media platforms they would not do it just for um, just for charity right there would be some business purpose since they are investing in that so i don't necessarily see that uh, you know anything wrong with advertisements and all those things as long as they are ethical Mm. but you know that ethics issue would play um, you know the question of ethics would uh, 
um, would be a major issue, you know, how to determine and all those things. You know, we, I would come to that a little later. But for me, social media is a um, web-based application where um, people uh, come together, create content, share that with others. And, you know, this has both um, entertainment aspects as well as knowledge aspects. So, and uh, therefore, they create a sense of community or network. And uh, so, and that allows people to connect with um, everyone, you know, those who are uh, available. Although, you know, that's theoretically possible to connect with everyone, but, you know, in a practice, you would see that people um, get connected to people, either uh, those who are in the same ge geographical location or based on interest. And that too, I think that level of communication that happened between uh, pe between strangers is limited in some cases. You know, this is more among acquaintances, um, friends or, you know, intimate friends. You know, this is one body of uh, literature that I'm very interested in that, you know, when people join social media, social network sites, who are they talk, uh, who, who do they talk to? Um, is that um, randomly chosen or based on their interest, you know, and all those things. What I found that most people, those who use social media, use it as a substitute of telephone, you know, to, to enhance their interpersonal uh, communication, you know, keep in touch with people, self-disclosure and things like that. Um, but, you know, um, on, I, my personal experience in studying people's networking um, behavior, I don't see this, you know, a lot of people, especially on Facebook and uh, on uh, sorry, Instagram or LinkedIn, you know, they connect uh, with people, those who know already in face-to-face -face situation. Mm -hmm. And so, or they get introduced by someone. Sometimes, of course, interest best and all those things. You know, people um, do do get connected to them. But majority uh, of the cases, people those who are known to them in uh, face to face uh, situation are added to their profile. Yes. For those of our listeners that don't know Orkut, can you quickly say um, what what it is? Orkut is uh, a social networking site like Facebook, you know, it is a convergence of multiple applications, you know, where you create a profile like the way you do in Facebook or Instagram. You have the option to, you know, uh, share your personal information, professional information, uh, which act as a self-disclosure for others to know who you are even if they don't know you based on your, you can also have interest. And there was also another option where uh, some of your contacts, that could be your intimate friends, friends um, or strangers or acquaintances, um, would write something called, um, or could, uh, there's a, uh, you know, they would write a, uh, you know, sort of a recommendation for you, you know, who you are and all those things. So there is a particular term that I'm, I'm uh, missing here. And so they introduce you uh, from their own perspective and then you can uh, hover over uh, to your friend's profile um, and then find out, you know, who they, uh, what they are doing, you know, what they, uh, you know, if they uploaded a picture, you can see that and you can leave a comment. You can also have access to, um, instant messenger there like you have on Facebook and uh, using that you can privately uh, chat with your friends you know if you do not want to use for example Facebook call what is called uh, you know or put 
um, or put public space, you know. And mostly the communication used to take place textually. So mm-hmm. uh, when I moved to the United States, that's when I got interested uh, because uh, many of my friends constantly asked me to join output which I was refusing to do saying that you know it would uh, so uh, it would take up my, a lot of my time and I don't want to waste that but then since I was interested in technology and communication that's what let me explore that and uh, when I then I joined in 2006 and then I found that um, some of my friends who were already in the US were using it quite regularly and uh, and that got me interested in studying there, uh, both linguistic and cultural uh, behavior. Now, I wanted to see how specially, in fact, my, my PhD is on um, Bengalis uh, living in the United States and how, how they use Orkut to maintain both linguistic uh, identity and in-group solidarity. Um, so I started following certain people and then I thought, you know, why not using this one, you know? Now, I wanted to see, you know, can I really make out who is close to whom or what is the social distance or interpersonal distance by analyzing their uh, discourse on output or communication pattern on output. To be very precise, I wanted to study their politeness, uh, say, uh, politeness behavior on uh, output. Because there was a body of literature already that indicated that people uh, are you know, but they are not really polite to everyone in diff- in in the same way. Mm. So, between uh, two intimate friends, the linguistics expression of politeness would be very different, or the frequency of using uh, polite languages or etiquette would be very different than uh, between uh, strangers or between uh, friends. You know, so uh, so that th- there is a concept called Balz theory. You know, um, where um, Nessa Olfson and her colleagues, you know, studied middle class Americans in the U.S. in face to face situation. And they found that people and the two extreme, which is strangers and uh, intimate friends, use very less polite uh, linguistic expression when they talk to each other, where between uh, friends, which is the middle category, you know, um, they use a lot more linguistic expression. Uh, and the explanation that they gave was that, you know, the middle group is always a little insecure. And so in order to maintain that, you know, establish the security, one needs to indicate uh, that, you know, they, they value that relationships and politeness is probably one of the strategies mm. uh, that is used frequently to indicate that, you know, to, to maintain that insecurity, to overcome that insecurity, not maintain. Mm-hmm. So I got interested in that. I said, you know, can I... Uh, this is uh, done in a Western concept, and uh, it, and there is a significant difference, you know, in terms of pragmatics and politeness behavior between, um, in especially if not East, but even East, you know, including China, Japan, India versus West, you know, and I wanted to see how different they are, and that got me interested in that topic, and I we I did find, you know, there are. Uh, differences and there are similarities of course yeah sure uh, Anupam does the technology itself kind of change uh, the way people engage or interact with each other in this level of politeness versus face-to-face or text or other means of um, communication um, the answer is both yes and no uh, in in the very you know fundamental level it 
uh, may not have changed drastically, but on the surface level, it has because uh, the technology uses of technology, you know, for example, emojis, graphicons, and all those things. So there was this uh, a friend of mine who uh, who shared a joke on on Facebook saying that you know uh, the world would have been very creepy if the way people wink at each other on Facebook, if they follow the same rule and face to face. <laughs> right. So um, I do see that, you know, people probably use a lot of wings, you know, when it, it comes to, say, textual communication and to, to uh, sort of, uh, you know, compensate the nonverbal cues, you know, they use uh, emoticons or emojis and uh, stickers and all those things, you know. Now, Yes, it has also uh, influence. Uh, that depends on, you know, who are you talking to? If you are talking to people that whom you have already known from your face-to-face -face, uh, network or offline network, you know, probably your behavior would not be very different on, online. But if you are talking to strangers, you know, uh, I've seen people like trolling, you know, is one of the aspects that, you know, that needs to be. Or people become... Uh, very impolite and rude at times, very direct, you know, and especially, um, you know, there, there are cases where uh, people uh, use sort of language that even if you are in face to, in offline environment face to face, you would uh, think twice to use such kind of slangs or vulgar language, yeah. you know, to comment someone. So these are, there are two aspects, you know, I think, you know, that also depends on the interpersonal distance and all those things. But yes, on, on um, social media, sometimes I have seen that on YouTube, I have seen it on Facebook, and, uh, um, Instagram not so much, and LinkedIn, of course, is a little professional thing, you know. So, um, so you know, in, in, on Facebook, particularly, on uh, YouTube particularly, but I have noticed that, you know, between strangers, you know, there could be, because I was, I was uh, doing a study on the advertisements and uh, the you know social impact of the advertisements and uh, especially the advertisements that come with some social messages and all those things you know so if it hurts someone's uh, belief or sentiment or you know false belief or all those things you know so people come with a lot of uh, slurs language you know vulgar languages slangs and they just uh, yeah, they just lose it, you know, they don't, uh, they're not polite at all. So yes, it, it, it has influenced people and they use also with this, uh, you know, increasing um, evolution and the very fast evolution of technology, you know, like the way even the social media is changing, you know, has also influenced the way people communicate, especially in terms of using, um, say, sticker emojis and things like that, you know, mm. so have you notice that uh, when I share a post on Facebook, for example, or Orkut is no more available, by the way, I forgot to mention that, you know, Orkut lost its popularity to Facebook, you know, in 2011 or so, you know, and therefore uh, Orkut was run by Google and they have withdrawn, you know, Orkut completely. And now most people who used to use Orkut, now they have migrated to Facebook. So um, now Facebook is the dominant player now with Instagram and of course Twitter uh, and all those things. So on Facebook, what I notice is that uh, people uh, now, if I share a post, you know, most people would just hit like button and move on. 
right? So few things that people, although they call it social network site, you know, people may have thousands of friends, but you would notice that, you know, most people, at least my observation, that the community that I was observing and studying uh, was uh, that, you know, people don't really interact um, more than 10% of their, uh, their, their contact list. So it's not that if you have thousands of friends, you're contacting with each one of them on a regular basis. You know, you actually do with a very limited number of people. You know, of course, you know, so that, that gives us this concept of what we call latent ties. Mm -hmm. These, you know, those whom, with whom we do not interact on a daily basis uh, doesn't mean that they are not part of our network because that connection is there, but it's not fully developed for some reason, or they would just hit a like button and move on and all those things, you know. So I think, you know, in order to enhance someone's networking skills and uh, ability, because network is not just, uh, you know, how many people you add, how well you maintain those relationships. Hmm. And uh, as we also are aware that, you know, different ties have different benefits. You know, for example, if you have close friends, they would provide you socio-emotional support at the moment of needs when you are down. You know, these are the friends that you uh, would uh, turn to to get some support. But, you know, these are the friends also, if you always hang out with those limited number of friends that you are very comfortable, then your intellectual growth may suffer. Because, you know, uh, I think the selection of friendship is based on similar likes and dislikes. So therefore, the kind of newspaper that I read, my friends are likely to read them. Or the movies that I watch, they are likely to watch them. And therefore, there won't be any newness. Mm. So uh, it is this uh, famous uh, article uh, of, uh, uh, you know, it's called Strength of Weak Ties. You know, uh, so uh, so what what we is by Granovetter. Um, what, what we learn there is that you know when you interact with strangers or acquaintances, you know who may not, may or may not have um, common interests. You know you are likely to learn a lot more because that uh, see in intimate friendship the familiarity brings contempt. But in uh, non-intimate uh, friendship, what happens, you know, I might just interact with uh, someone whose uh, professional or personal interest could be very different mm -hmm. from mine. And therefore, I am likely to know a little more and widen my, um, you know, horizon of my knowledge. So, um, but that does not necessarily always happen in uh, on Facebook or networks you know we become very comfortable and interact with those friends you know that we are very comfortable yeah uh, that, that familiarity is is the main problem now mm -hmm. the, there's another issue you know do we really mind are we mindful about you know the kind of post uh, the kind of contents that we share on this social media side mm. right so what happens, you know, we, we sometimes, you know, just follow one type, right, and leave traces of, of uh, who I am. And therefore, of course, you know, based on that algorithm, you know, there are companies, you know, who would give you feed. Mm -hmm. So what happens, you continue to follow that you like, 
So therefore, uh, I guess that becomes another problem that you know you don't necessarily widen your horizon. Mm -hmm. And there are many people that, in, in especially in rural India, I see that uh, Facebook or social media are used primarily for entertainment. Of course, there is nothing wrong with that. You know that you one needs to have the source of entertainment. But having said that, you know, if that is used only as the source of entertainment, you know, then your intellectual growth suffers. Yes. You know, there are, you know, social media can offer plenty of opportunities, you know, and in, in my case, what happens, you know, I have got um, teaching ideas from Facebook by seeing some videos that, you know, my friends from Europe or from the United States or from Africa, from China or Vietnam, you know, this year, because, you know, th those become very different and, and I have immensely benefited from those content. So I suggest that people need to be a little more mindful when they use the social media and mm -hmm. then they uh, get the best out of it. Yes. Anupam, um, I wanted to go back to the topic of uh, politeness and I have actually two questions associated with it. One would be, you were mentioning about your, your study that you did for your PhD in that community and I was interested to understand better your finding, findings around politeness and how it differs uh, versus the Western perception. Um, and the second question was about the trolling and the politeness. Like, I just wanted to understand why do you think people... Um, Uh, behave in that way on social media? Why is that enhanced trolling um, and negative type of communication without politeness? Why does it happen? Okay, so to address your first question, you know, my findings, uh, the findings of my dissertation um, had many aspects, you know, because I uh, looked at three aspects of politeness that was uh, linguistic greetings, compliments, and expression of gratitude, mainly thank you and things like that. And what I found that initially when I um, coded the data and I did not see much difference between, see, the Western use and the Eastern use because I felt that, you know, yes, uh, uh, you know, in some cases, uh, the pattern was showing that uh, that was found in um, in the united states among the middle class american that you know the frequency of use of politeness or polite uh, or linguistic politeness among strangers are very less and so as well as with the intimate friends and it goes up so it creates a sort of a bell curve you know goes mm -hmm. up when it comes to the middle distance friends which is a friends but not intimate nor strangers you know so it goes up for acquaintances and friends in the middle distance but in some cases there were no such pattern so then that uh, got me interested let me you know go a little deeper at the micro level and see if we see further uh, pattern what i found you know we we i had to then um, you know come up with a finer coding scheme to to see you know one is you know Sometimes what we call, you know, there is a concept in linguistics, politeness one and politeness two. You know, politeness one uh, deals with, you know, see the, the way linguists uh, define politeness one. And the other one is, you know, the way common people uh, think of politeness. So now I had two, two concepts, you know, uh, which is not, it's my own term, but, you know, drawing from past literature, which I felt that, you know, there was... And sometimes, you know, the polite language would be very explicit, 
for example, thank you very much. But, uh, or what a you know, compliment would be, what a beautiful shirt. That is the, the, the linguistic structure, the syntactic pattern and expression. You know, it doesn't take much to, uh, to, dec to decode that that is a polite language. But sometimes, you know, you know, without using that language, you know, the people can be very creative, you know. For example, uh, for, you know, there was someone who says, you know, oh, um, I wish you were not taken, you know, I would have fallen in love with that, you know. So then this becomes a little opaque, you know, to figure out whether th this is uh, polite or not. Or for example, um, between two intimate friends, you know, people use some slangs, you know, to, to indicate in um, interpersonal bonding, you know, that there could be male bondings and female bondings and things like that. So, so that is where the, I think pragmatic use would uh, come to play a role. And then um, that's when I find that, you know, I, I had uh, two patterns, you know, one is when it comes to formal uh, or formulaic polite language, you know, so the frequency of formulaic polite language increases from, from stranger to acquaintances to friends to, um, sorry, it, it decreases, you know, for, it is less with the intimate friends mm -hmm. and uh, then, um, you know, lesser, you know, there is a linear pattern and it is uh, very high with the strangers. So, or acquaintances in my for, for uh, sorry in my uh, category I didn't have strangers because since people on Orkut mostly add um, people that they have at least known once you know in off, offline so I didn't have the stranger category but you know when it comes to acquaintances the formal polite language is very high and it's least you know when it uh, it is between intimate friends but the pattern was reversed when you use it informal polite language or indirect implicit polite language you know is very high with intimate friends and very low in uh, you know among uh, acquaintances so th that is not something that uh, that was found in um, in in uh, Ball's theory you know where we see a bell curve we didn't say the bell curve but you know this is particularly indication of um, interpersonal closeness you know so for formulaic versus non-formulaic polite language or implicit versus explicit mm -hmm. polite language in fact um, currently um, along with two of my colleagues um, we are editing a volume of uh, polite uh, compliments on social media which involves uh, languages like Italian uh, Spanish, uh, Indian English, and uh, um, other uh, Indian languages, and uh, Chinese, and you know, it's a multilingual uh, you know, uh, ling uh, study, so where we, we try to see how people, not just on Facebook, but in other uh, for, you know, social medias and other languages use uh, compliments, you know, how they complement each other and things like that. So I have extended my research work, you know, even the research. So this is a collected volume that uh, is co-edited by me and my colleagues, you know, um, and will be out sometimes next year. So we are constantly trying to see, you know, how technology has influenced people's behavior, not just in English, but in um, other both, uh, you know, dominant European and non-European, especially a Asian languages. You know, so this is something that uh, we found interesting. Tell me also about the, the second question that was around, um, you know, the trolls and the, the way they completely remove politeness from conversation on social media. 
Oh, yeah. Um, so there is a large body of literature that deals with uh, impoliteness, mm-hmm. and um, you know, which is which could include you know the slangs, you know, trolling, and many other things. You know, um, so impoliteness is not necessarily always uh, there only only on online platforms. It's there even on face to face. You know, uh, I don't know. You know, in meetings it happens. You know, and uh, especially if you. Uh, if you see that you know when uh, in both in corporate and non-corporate world you know in meetings sometimes people become very aggressive you know because especially in the corporate world you know your uh, sometimes people do not understand the difference between assertiveness and aggression you know so i think you know one of the things that happens that if um uh, if you do not uh, agree with my views you know i uh, people tend to believe that you know i have the right to uh, you know to to uh, to troll you you know in the sense that you know to offend you and you know those things where they are i think people do not necessarily understand the meaning of freedom of speech freedom of speech does not necessarily mean that you have the right to insult people but you know you have the right to have dissent you know but so that dissent can be uh, dissent can be dissent you know so you, you can a uh, very polite way also saying that you know i don't agree with you so one of the things i guess because um it happens more on online platform is that um since when i don't see you you know um i i don't see your uh, facial expression or non verbal expressions and all those things you know so i be, so you it's it's basically dehumanize the character that i'm interacting with and when i dehumanize you know i think you know i i have that liberty to torture you to uh, to hurt you and all those things i think you know that there has to be an experiment that see that you know the same people the who troll uh, strangers you know being anonymous or sometimes you know even if you know their name but you don't care you know if you put them on for example the kind of conversation you and i are having on skype when they see each other and their facial expression or face to face would they really behave in the same way hmm. you know so that reveal you know whether it is the dehumanizing process that allows them to be more hurtful and uh, less uh, respectful to people's opinion especially when uh, someone's uh, opinion and uh, does not match with yours you know and the other thing is that and the more and more we are becoming very close kind of community you know uh, even though you know, this is the irony of the social networking site you know we are supposed to be global we are supposed to have wider views but i think people if you see that you know all over the world you know people are becoming more nationalistic you know um the the you know everywhere you know there is the signs the sards of national identity and all those things you know so therefore you know when i believe that you know my uh, my community my nation and all those things is uh, superior to someone else you know then that also causes some problem in your thought process then we try to not just defend you know we try to impose my views on others and when people don't accept it you know and especially i don't see them and i have no idea you know idea who they are you know so that's when people uh, tend to um, sort of uh, troll people and hard and i have seen that multiple cases you know and uh, there was a actress here in india who uh, once criticized one of the popular politicians uh for what well, you know for for uh, policy related to girl child or girl children um 
and uh, that, that popular politicians had a lot of followers who started following and they uh, trolling uh, this actress and uh, used the kind of language that I think typically any human being with a, a common sense and little dignity would not use that, you know. So um, trolling is a way of silencing people and especially in, in political sphere it happens a lot more and debate and also in social sphere it happens you know so that is one thing and i've seen that you know see um, there's something called this concept of online lynching all right you know i don't agree with you so you know i i you know hurt you so much you know that you withdraw uh, your presence from this online platform because that's the death of, of a online person, uh, online presence of, of a person, right? You know, and that happened with one of the scientists, you know, who of course made a comment, you know, and it is not necessarily always by the trolling is done by only less uh, educated or illiterate people, you, you know, people they, they you know it, it it is equally done by uh, the uh, you know the so so-called liberal ones also, you know, so, you know, sometimes, you know, we don't understand the meaning of liberal, we call ourselves liberal, but we have a very rigid view of that, you know, we, we are just on the other extreme of, you know, the conservative ones. A liberal would not, pro, you know, uh, a priori take a stand, you know, I, I think my understanding of being a liberal person is that, you know, I should know every isms and, you know, and when there is a crisis, I should be able to draw from its ism and take um, make up my own mind rather than following one ism. So one of the problems I see that when people just marry one particular ism and dogmatic, dogmatically follow that ism, and you know the moment uh, uh, their ism or their, their uh, you know views are challenged, they become very furious and started you know, uh, started uh, trolling people or insulting people. Mm. And so it doesn't mean that, you know, only the less educated ones do that. I've seen that, you know, even the educated ones do that, you know, and therefore there is a term uh, that is coined in Indian context is called pseudo-liberal because they would speak for one particular community, which of course, they, I think people must speak for, but then they, they remain silent when that similar uh, you know, things happen on the other particular community. Yeah. I think people need to look at what is wrong rather than who is wrong. Mm. That would uh, make more sense and therefore they would have a, a holistic idea uh, about a particular issue rather than, you know, I think, you know, when we just look at one particular issue through one particular ism or concept, you know, we are likely to be partially blind. Yeah. And that, yeah. that gives birth of this concept of pseudo-secular kind of yeah. things, you know, yeah. I could see that. But on, on platforms such as Facebook, uh, where do you think the responsibility for governance lies? Um, is it with the platform itself? Is it with the people that populate it? When it comes to topics such as um, politeness, impoliteness, what do you think? Well, uh, uh, it's a difficult question to answer, frankly speaking. The reason is, um, how do you control so many people? And should we really, you know, um, even though, you know, Facebook has, or most social networking sites has a standard protocol, right? You know, which we all agree to abide by. 
but of course we don't read them you know these are fine prints you know we just put tick mark and hit on the accept uh, i agree button and then move on i think you know um, when people uh, become impolite in both political sphere and all those things you know, and that's the debate i think uh, not just uh, uh, in india that we are having i think it, it is happening all over the world you know and uh, so uh, what would be the uh, decorum you know and how would you you know should we really moderate them should the government moderate them should the uh, you know so uh, sh should we have legal system to follow that i am of the opinion yes there has to be a robust legal system you know uh, to to curb these cyber bullies um, because if that is not there because the cyber bullies have taken a lot of lives you know people is is equally hurtful you know we sometimes tend to focus more on a physical hurt right when physically people hurt uh, one another we think that is more but i think you know this um, online bullying or cyber, what we call cyber bullying or you know verbal way verbal aggression and all those things can be equally if not more equally hurtful so um, especially the teenagers are um, you know are uh, threatened by that you know and there is a survey that that reveals that you know um, you know uh, surprisingly you know or maybe not so surprisingly you know a lot of teenagers have claimed that they have um, they come across these cyber bullies uh, almost uh, almost on a regular basis so how to then you know avoid these things you know i think there has to be this uh, cyber law needs to evolve faster than uh, you know ever because the in in the uh, the rate of evolution of uh, technology is very fast mm -hmm. but you know the legal system does not keep up with that you know, so one has to needs to understand so therefore this uh, i think the social scientists uh, can play a role. I think you know um, uh, the legal experts can work closely with social scientists to understand you know who are the ones you know who uh, are likely to bully and why they do it. Are there psychological aspects or socio-psychological aspects and all those things? You know, uh, frustration. You see, when if you do not engage people, uh, uh, you know, engage people constructively. People use the you know energy and destroy destroy things that could be done both online and offline. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. so I think there has to be a balance between technology use and um, also you know uh, also be engaged with people in physical space. But, but sometimes I feel sad. Not sometimes. I think this is one thing that I have taken up. Uh, as a call when i see my students here at the indian institute of management corikor and everywhere you know they are always glued to their uh, smartphone so what happens that say, you know that kind of isolates them you know from the real world you know what we call real world in a sense that you know we need to be able to play um, play in a physical space too because you know um, if we don't play if you always play say video games on Facebook or anything else you know your both physical and mental health are likely to suffer there are research you know my wife is an editor and she uh, keeps sharing her experiences about you know how why children um, you know should not be exposed to um, so video games or internet too much you know how you know the negative uh, consequences of uh, excessive 
uh, internet use for children. So, you know, for example, it can have uh, cognitive development issues. Uh, so uh, that's the reason I think you know students need to really have uh, well thought out uh, use of technology, right? You know, because if I'm always glued to my Facebook, my WhatsApp, my Instagram, and my email, and all those things, you know, I think you know they sometimes do not understand the 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 importance of having conversation in a face-to-face -face, mm. uh, situation. I see that, you know, it's a couple entering into a cafeteria to have a nice time together. They order uh, their, um, say, the coffee or tea or whatever and you know, snacks. And instead of talking to each other, they are connected to the entire world, you know, and, uh, and they are not talking to each other. And that seems to have a negative impact on people. So, at one hand, you know, at the macro level, I think is, um, you know, the lawmakers, uh, especially the legal system, uh, should have a robust system to curb the cyberbullying. But at the same time, at the macro level, individuals must play um, a play an active role to yeah. to yeah. Uh, to manage their technology use. You know, if they're always addicted to people, I have I have students. Uh, uh, calling me mid, middle, uh, middle of the night, crying, saying that, you know, how do I make my husband understand that he has a family to look after? And I also need some support from him. But even when he comes back from work, he's always glued to his smartphone, right? I think it's not just the individual, also the, you know, the corporate world needs to understand that, you know, people need to have not just privacy, but the private time as well in order to have a balanced life. You yeah. know? Because too much of technology can destroy both the social um, social structure as well as the individual relationship. Yeah. And you were mentioning earlier about how um, working with social scientists can actually help companies um, approach these topics. What, what, what would you advise to a company that is considering or thinking about employing social scientists? Like what would be a, a way to start down that path? I guess first thing they uh, need to hire people who have good knowledge of um, big data mining. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, those people should also be aware of uh, uh, issues of uh, social sciences. You know, for example, a bit of sociology, psychology, and more importantly, ethics. You know, see, ethics is not taught to most uh, students, you know, assuming that uh, they would uh, they would know, learn it. But, you know, the amount of unethical activities that go on in, in, in the corporate world make common people or civilians very suspicious about their motives, you know, be it, you know, an uh, advertisement or something else. And we have seen even the recent past Cambridge Analytica, for example, or, you know, Facebook also accepting that, you know, they you know, they should have been more careful, uh, you know, and all those things. Now, there was also issues with WhatsApp, you know, and all those things. So, what, social media, of course, when they come offer this platform, they would try to uh, make money. Mm -hmm. And I have absolutely nothing against that, you know, as long as they are ethical. Now, I think we need to have 
um, strong ethical uh, the department that looks after train the employees about ethical issues you know what we can do the privacy issues too right you know even though I see when I joined Facebook I did not necessarily go through the entire privacy settings uh, so carefully most people don't you know um, you know obviously you know people, Facebook would say that that's not my fault Right, you know, obviously, you know, I think companies must understand if you do not follow ethical means to run your business in the long run, you would not survive. We have seen that, you know, not just in the social you know, media cases, but, you know, earlier also Enron is one of the uh, prime examples in the US that didn't follow social media. But yes, people are, are there, uh, you know, companies that still survive, but I think eventually they would I think the, the duration of their existence would be reduced. Um, so now that, you know, with social media, people have a lot more power. You know, I have seen people um, protesting against unethical means or um, other sort of uh, corrupt uh, ways of dealing uh, with business issues and people become vocal. So there are activists who also use social media to, to do this thing. So but when I'm... Um, my suggestion to the corporate or the companies to hire social scientists, though, uh, so there are two ways, you know, these are social scientists, uh, but they sh if they have social activist role, then these are difficult for companies to deal with them. You know, they will be social scientists who would be trained in ethics, but not social activism. Social activism would, there would be conflict of interest between social activism and profit-making business there, right? You know, so, um, but at the same time, I think companies should hire sociologists, psychologists, anthropologists, linguists, those who use this uh, application of uh, linguistics, anthropology, sociology, and psychology in te technology space or in a virtual space because they have better understanding of how this technology impact human lives, culture, language, and all those things. And if the cultures and languages are threatened because of improper uses of technology, then in the, not just in the long run, in the short run, we are all dead. Yeah. You know, we need to be able to really ensure that, you know, multiple languages thrive on the internet and people are able to use them freely and uh, we are able to exchange ideas uh, with, uh, with each other, even the ones, um, I think, you know, there are a few things that people should do, you know, there should be a uh, in, in corporate world, there should be a diversity management uh, department. Mm. You know? So diversity is not only about uh, uh, about look, about gender. It's actually diversity of thoughts, right? So, you know, so how how to recruit people? I would recruit someone who have uh, very different ideas uh, than you know many of my colleagues and I have, right? You know, because that would bring uh, some sort of conflict and conflict is the way to go. If there is no conflict, there is no new creation, but the conflict can both destroy and uh, create, right? So, you know, so it could be constructive and destructive depending on how you manage conflict. Mm. So people should be trained in conflict management, diversity management and all those things. So I think, you know, one needs to have a very holistic view 
of not just developing technology hmm. um you also need to have artists who are well aware of the aesthetics part of technology and usability aspects and things like yeah. that if you want to uh, you know do good to do well in 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 this uh, sphere i think one is to have a very uh, you know robust department that look after all these issues Yeah, I'd love to dive deeper into this topic of uh, diversity and uh, conflict management, but um, I'm very aware that I've taken already so much of your time. So maybe maybe we'll bring you back for a second episode, Anupam, to to speak to conflict and um, diversity in technology, because uh-huh. this is very fast. This is fascinating as well. Um, but yeah, for, for now, I mean, we've we've way surpassed our time limit, so. Um, Thank you very much for uh, being so gracious and making the time to to speak to us. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> we really appreciate it. And for our listeners, we will we will put all the links to all the references that Anupam made um, in the in the show notes, so that you can go down the rabbit hole and and read all that wonderful research. Um, yeah. Once again, thank you very much, and I hope you have a nice day. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you for listening everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speakers work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.